Today's show is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can feel like you're trying to find a needle in a haystack, but when you post a job to ZipRecruiter, their matching technology finds these qualified candidates for you and invites them to apply. So while other companies give you too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also... Brought to you by, of course, Marriage Supply, the number, the number one <laughs> sex toy site in the world. Ow! I don't know. I think. <laughs> I think. Anyway, go to marriagesupply.com right now. Check it out. Uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty nice. Well, How you folks doing? To- yeah, I'm good. Let's stay on the topic of marriage for a little bit and supplies <laughs> and, you know, yeah, the main yeah, thing, Mary Beth. Was- when are you getting married? <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Whenever oh, anybody hell. says marriage, all Look, I think about I is I just got into my first relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, your first relationship. So let's slow down here, fellas. First relationship. I mean, the way you put that is literally your first r- romantic relationship of your mm-hmm. whole yes, life. My is first official underway. My whole life, I will be 27 this year, and it's my first. Wow. Me, yep. uh, you know, everybody knows Toby and I have backgrounds in purity mm. culture. I imagine, I mean, obviously you do too, and I know that. Um, and then our guest is going to be talking about purity culture mm. and sex and all that stuff. So I was thinking it might be worth revisiting our virginity conversation we've had a long time ago on the podcast. We talked about how bullshit the definitions of virginity were. <laughs> Um, and I think that has continued to just fall to pieces. I mean, there's just no such, yeah, it's almost no such concept. I don't think anymore. Well, all three of us, I guess, definitely experienced purity culture, right? Like we really like, uh, we're going to have Brenda on here in a minute and, uh, she talks about idolizing purity culture, like uh, idolizing purity. And I was thinking mm-hmm. that same thing. Like it's it's a badge of honor. Uh, yep, I haven't done anything sexual, you know. And if I did, I feel I really told everybody how guilty mm-hmm. I felt. You know, <laughs> like like it was. A, I really feel right. bad if I did anything. And so it, it's kind of crazy. All three of us, and I mean, I guess it wasn't just the South, but us us three specifically growing up in the South. I think it was stronger. That that was yeah. one that the church held on to. I think w- the right? three of us oh, particularly yeah. took abstinence seriously. Although I understand many people who were in my faith did not. You know, or couldn't, or tried to, and weren't able to. But I, I took it seriously that to do abstinence, and I thought, I wonder if y'all thought that too, that it would, you know, pay off, like you get something for it. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, or or did I in moral superiority, or did I in that I avoided getting somebody pregnant when I was twenty two? I mean, did it? I don't know. I well, don't really know. 
if I'm being honest, I don't, I feel like half of me took it seriously and the other half, it was just the cards I was dealt. Like I just got lucky that no one was really interested in having sex with me. So I just, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, but how? I was I like, mean, well, this is pretty easy. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, it, it, there's many people who, who might would say they're in some kind of boat like that, that cer- certainly find a way though. You know what I mean? There's, you I mean, could have had being, sex if you, you wanted to. I mean, to, you definitely right? could have. See, that's what everyone says. And I maybe, I mean. Were you, you weren't looking college. for it though? You you weren't like, you just weren't. I mean, were you um, putting yourself out there? High school, I was not. <laughs> you would have had to, you high might school, have had to high try. High school, I was not. College, yes, yeah. you were a little yeah. bit. High school, I would. Yeah, I mean, but I was. I was still kind of caught up in that whole narrative that church tells women specifically that like we're supposed to be pursued. Right. And all this shit. And I mean, I just was not getting pursued. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was like, I mean, at at that point in my life, I still was like, well, maybe I should just keep waiting. Now I'm like, I don't have the fucking time. So can we get on with it? Like, yeah. Are we going to date or not? I need to know. So, um, and I also just think that's bullshit anyways, but And if you could do um, it live it your life over again or alter that part of purity culture, do you have a, a clear answer of what you wish you had done or been told or a disposition you would have taken instead? See, that's tough because I am really happy with where I am right now. Um I don't I don't know. See, like I'm one of those people I don't really regret the past per se because it's brought me here, but I would definitely change purity culture because I, I feel like I kind of, even though it has harmed me in some ways, I feel like I got a little lucky because it hasn't harmed me as much as other people that I know or people in my circles mm-hmm. um, who are having serious marriage issues or just self-esteem issues like that, yeah. that they have yet to work through. And, and I definitely have those, but I think... I kind of, this is weird to say it this way, but I got a little bit lucky not having so much of a sex drive like when I was younger and just not being super involved in that world um, that that didn't come in until I was in college. And so, I don't know. So you were able to... Purity culture would definitely change. My path particularly, I don't know if I would say I would. Mm-hmm. And Toby, what would you do different? I mean, do you, you don't wish if you could have deconstructed better or had a clearer mind about the way the world worked. You yeah. just you wish you were I wish you know, out there destroying Punana your whole childhood. I, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean it, I, I I'm just gonna be honest. I wish I would have been a little bit more Punana in my life. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, I I think for me it was that it was all I could think was sex was bad and i want mm-hmm. I, I didn't even really understand what it was because i tried to stay away from it but i thought mm-hmm. uh, you know I'd, I'd get horny or you know you're going through teenage hormones and all that stuff and so the the thing that i didn't realize is so i did the you know the skirt skirt arounds you know on, only blow jobs or Just oral sex anal, or no, no yeah, actual sex. Uh, i mean because you that <laughs> There was there was workarounds. You know what I mean? Like you thought. I mean, you still felt guilty. Don't get me wrong. Don't you know? Yeah. I I mean, you you still felt guilty, and it was wrong, and all. But the thing that I I wish would been, I wish it would just been like, yes, people have sex, and 
it isn't an indictment on uh, you being a bad guy or a bad girl. Or, you, know, you know what I mean? Like you, you're not a, mm-hmm. a slut or a, a pervert or a bad person. Like that's what I thought. Like I thought I was just a complete pervert because I wanted to have sex with the, a girl I liked. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, and so we would do everything but or whatever. And I just feel like that that was almost worse in a way because we we weren't as intimate as we could have been. And that put up a wall for me of even maybe not caring about them ho- ho- holistically, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 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 you know a, what I mean? Yeah, it's like, so oh, well, I got to get this blowjob and get it quick because uh, yeah. I don't want anybody to be around. Anybody to know? And, uh, you know, and, you yeah. know. If, if I'm going down on her, then I just have to do it really fast, and then we do the, and then we're done, and then yeah. you know. But see just, that that's probably really bad because that probably I mean I did a a good amount of that you know type of behavior too, but I think that probably made it way worse for the person I was doing it with. Like I was ashamed of it, and then they yeah. feel like I, and I didn't you know like ah we yeah. just hooked mm-hmm. up. This is awkward. It was bad. So I think you're bad now because I'm bad and we're all bad. So we yeah. all feel right. bad, and they feel you know makes the other person feel bad when you have the attitude right when you just yeah. fool now, around. I, will, I will say this uh, then i graduate college and get in a pretty famous band so i don't think <laughs> i would have become a sex fiend and started doing terrible yep. sex bad stuff but i think i would have had a lot of sex yeah probably, you know i mean like i'm I saying think, there's an aspect i, think I would have probably that, well yeah like if you'd have gone into being in a band thinking it's good to get laid however you can whenever you can if you came from a, if oh, you were yeah. like that in high school and then you were in a famous band after that. It would have been gone. It might not have gone super well. Right. But <laughs> like, I, I do think uh, Mary yeah, Beth, Ma- Matt, and I were a little bit like you. Like even when we're on tour, even though we grew up Christian and period culture, there was a little bit of we want to stay a little goofy and fun. Like there were there were so many guys that would come on our bus looking for chicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like other band dudes, and and they were trying. Oh, is any girls mm-hmm. on me? Okay, okay, see y'all later. You know, like that was there was a lot of that. <laughs> And then we were all just like, hey, let's drink beer and rock the bus or dance or cut up or, or yeah. start a casino on our bus or something. Like we, there was a little bit of that just in us that we weren't, we couldn't totally go there. And so yeah. I, I would, I don't know if I necessarily really would want to look back and say, man, I had a lot of sex and I feel great about it. I, I don't know if that is me, but I think I wish I would have just have seen it like, oh, wait, this isn't, this isn't so. I, I I felt so judged and was judgmental about it that I wish I could have looked back and gone, oh, sex is good and it it's okay. And yeah, if you have sex uh, before marriage, that doesn't mean you're gonna be worse to your spouse. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah, mean you, you like, it doesn't mean about, you stole something from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's about quantity as much. I mean, to some people, it is like they want as many different experiences with different people, but. For me personally, it's not even necessarily quantity, but it's like the number of quality experiences where I actually feel like I can just fully be myself and be open right. to exploring things and not feel ashamed or embarrassed or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah that's kind of crazy to think is that maybe it's that simple. <laughs> like you, you know how if you are on the phone and you have like a somebody, you, you have a beer and or a piece of cake and you're talking on the phone, and you just eat the whole thing, and then you feel yourself, and you don't remember even eating it or whatever, mm-hmm. or drinking. And you're like, well, that was a waste. Like, I wasn't present with it. I wasn't there. Or, you know, all the things you do in situations where you weren't really present. It was just for all these other reasons. I imagine yeah. sex like that, which is the way it happens all the time. is a party of drunk. I don't know what's going on. I just thought I needed to do You know, none of that's ever going to be good. That's never going to be good. You're never going right. to enjoy it unless you could go, oh, yeah. I'm me. I'm calm. I want to do this. They want to do this. 
I think this is okay. It's kind of exciting, but there's no pre. You know, if th- none of those situations are really ever available <laughs> to me. Well, I mean, that wasn't on the menu for me. If you think it's sin, like to the degree you are, you have to almost disassociate to f- get through the one part. Like to do it, you have to almost associate right. a little bit. You can't just be present and just enjoy yeah. the sensation of the thing. Is even so much like you have to do something yeah. weird to get through it. So that can't. That just isn't going to be good anyway. And the idea, too, of being married and now, mm-hmm. oh, wait, now you have all kinds of sex. Everything you ever dreamed of, you waited, you won. Like you said earlier, like you're yeah, going you to get something. Yeah. You yeah. thought, you know what I mean? Uh, you think, oh, well, well, now we got married. So that's, well, here it is. <laughs> I did all, the, all that waiting, all that trying to honor God and do the right thing and all that stuff. And here it is. And then you're like, then you're once again really focused on the wrong things about sex. And you're, you're not just, good at it. Right. It's like, yeah. wait till you get married to learn to play yeah. the cello. <laughs> Right. <laughs> You'll be great at it. It'll yeah. sound wonderful. Yeah. Your pitch will be great. Everything. Don't ever think of finances yeah. ever. The day you get married, do all the finances immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> For real. Okay, it looks like Brenda yeah. is going to join us in a second here. So right before she comes on, I just have to give a shout out to all the business owners out there. It's been oh, a hard yeah. year for you. It's been a hard year for, well, unless maybe you're, Amazon, but if you're but if you're a regular business person, I think the thing you got to think about is your team, how you get the right people in the right roles. If you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role, and that's why I'm going to tell you about ZipRecruiter because I think one of the main challenges is it, it seems like it was it's easy because you say, well, you can put the job online now, but that's overwhelming, so it used to be you put a help wanted sign in the gas station window and you get seven or eight applicants. You just pick the best one. You didn't get that many people to choose from, but at least the decision of how to post it and who to review was simple. And now the internet is quite complicated, but ZipRecruiter is amazing. Um, they can It's like finding a needle in the haystacks the way they say it. And that's true. You can post your job on some job board, but then all you can do is hope that the right person comes along and how to sort through it. And that's why you should try ZipRecruiter. You can do it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then, here's the best part, their matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. And then ZipRecruiter gets those ones and filters them down to you to the best ones. In fact, it's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And it's no wonder over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. So, while other companies overwhelm you with too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this address, ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. Once again, remember to go to this unique place, ZipRecruiter.com slash B-A-D-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, I'm going to let her in. And we're off and running, everybody. Let's party. We're partying. Okay. Connected. Brenda. Hi. 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 How's it going? Hello. Sorry, I was in a Google Meet, so I was in the wrong place, I think. No, we're <laughs> oh, right, okay. right on time. It's not like we're ever right on time either. So thank you for joining us this evening. It's nice to talk. Yeah, you too. Hello. Uh, so we got Sorry, Brent- what's everybody's name? I'm Brenda. You got Brenda. I'm, I'm Matt. Matt. Mary Beth and Toby. 
Yep. Okay, cool. Nice to meet everyone. Mm-hmm. I like the name nice Brenda. It's, it's like an old name. Are there, are there going to be Brendas in the future? Are you like the last one? We had a barber on a few weeks ago, and I was like, man, <laughs> I like all these older names, but I I wonder if they're going to go away. You, you know any other? Have you ever met another Brenda? Honestly, only like black women 60 and above. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Brenda from 90210. Right. Brenda right. Walsh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there was a waiter at the diner when I grew up at uh, the clock, Toby, and Greer named Brenda. Oh, but really? That was in the 80s in Greer, South Carolina. She was a waiter at a diner, so that fits yeah. the profile. I think too. there's yeah, an LL. She sounds dope. <laughs> yeah, she was awesome. I think there's an LL Cool J song, right? Brenda. Da, 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 da. Uh, what's that no, song? No, Tupac like? has a Tupac. song. Brenda's got a baby. Was it Tupac? Maybe it's Tupac. Yeah, throwing a baby in a dumpster. Oh, Brenda's yeah. Brenda's got a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only 12. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, Brenda, we've been uh, on here talking about our, our past with purity culture. We all grew up in the South, uh, uh, Tennessee, Tennessee and South Carolina, <laughs> yeah. and we were just uh, talking right. about that. Just, just its effect on us. Like, uh, I, I like... Uh, looking up some of the stuff and watching your videos, how you're talking about purity, purity being almost like idolatry and how people ho- hold it in such, such high esteem. And that's exactly, that really rang true with my experience. My granddad, my papa was a pastor and not having sex before marriage was like one, like the biggest thing. I mean, it was like, so it was that and divorce were the two, which yeah. was just weird that those were always tied together. Like that love Re- yeah. sexual relationship being whatever it is seeing is is so strong we we grew up the same way mm, yeah 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 what was what is your background for everybody that's that isn't caught up on you and your channel what is your background in purity culture when you first you know what is the experience there for you oh, okay is this a pre-convo or a no no this is oh yeah lose. we're rolling okay this is the, <laughs> this, our, this is how it goes <laughs> well hello <Yeah>. um <laughs> So, yeah, my background is that I was a casual Catholic for 12 years of my life, but I say casual not to be dismissive of faith or divinity because I actually always had a very profound, intuitive, powerful connection to whatever I considered to be divinity. And obviously growing up in a certain area of the world, that was Jesus and God, but the name Yeshua always just made my skin tingle in a really positive way. And um, so I was, I just like living my life engaged in that intuitive relationship with divinity. And then when I was 12 years old, a friend of mine named Gina invited me to a youth group and I was such a nerd in high school and all my friends were like starting to make out and everything. And I was feeling really left out. No boys. I couldn't get anyone's attention. So I was like, are there cute boys there? And she's like, oh yeah. So I was like, all right, count me in. (laughs) And then of course, in the greatest irony of the world, I get there and there are cute boys, but they're like, don't look at them. Don't kiss them. Don't tempt them. Don't, you know, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's where I really feel mm-hmm. slash know that my sexuality and spirituality was really hijacked and perverted by the evangelical non-denominational quote unquote, um, you know, charismatic church that I started attending. When you, but, when at you the, look- but at the time, what did you feel that it was right? Like, were you happy to be a part of it? You know what I mean? That's the way I felt. Like I was, at least I had a group or a, a, a fellowship that I could feel, you know, I, you know, I wish I could have sex or whatever, but you know, that this feels right. Did you feel that way? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And the things that I count as positives in that experience are like, I even talk about it in my book on her knees where I'm just like, you know, how terrible was it to tell me that God had a plan for my life, that I could change the world, that I was powerful, that I was right. intelligent enough to understand the Bible, which is, is such an empowering and maybe too empowering for a 12 year old child to be like, you can read this. It's very clear. You know, they hand you a message Bible and they're like, you'll understand this. And it's like, yes, of course you will. Um, but yeah, I thought that messaging was so beautiful, but now also looking back, we engaged in mission trips. I went to Ecuador for a period of time. I, I ended up being really the quintessential perfect quote unquote, good Christian girl. I was saving myself for marriage. I drug all of my girlfriends to a Christian bookstore. We all picked out chastity rings together. And I was really the instigator of all of it. I, I was like the gold star girl because every time there was a Sunday service, they'd be like, look at Brenda, bring in another four <laughs> friends to church. And then at school, of course, I'm being like, teased to high heaven because I'm flouting my purity ring. I'm all proud of myself, but I felt amazing. I, I, again, wrote in my book, like the girls would make fun of me. Uh, Brooke and Mandy were the popular girls in high school and they would be like teasing me for being a virgin and everything. And I'd just be like, just you wait, Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plans he has for me. <laughs> and how did you, um, how did you think of, of who, who was the Brooke and who? Oh, Mandy. Brooke and Mandy. Oh, God. Mandy. And how did you think of them? <laughs> they were just, uh, they were the, every 90s ho uh, Hollywood movie you can think of that takes place in high school, like the mean, ultra beautiful <laughs> girls. And, and they were named so beautifully, like Brooke, Mandy. They also hung out with yeah. Tiffany and Jessica. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know those types. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And, and then they'd come home and like, you know, on Monday morning, you'd hear them all talking about how they had sex at that party and everyone was drunk. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't have any regrets about not having sex in high school. I'm raising a, a son right now. I'd love if he ended up abstaining, you know, cause there are real reasons behind a sexual ethic and, but it's, it's not quote purity. It's not quote saving yourself, but that's, so that's those what, are all the positive things. That's what I've been thinking about when I, if I look back at it, it's easy to say the, the, those youth pastors were bad or the youth group mentality or purity culture. And it is, I mean, it's short-sighted and shallow and misguided but for me same thing if the other kids were really partying and really having sex in these adult ways i wasn't ready for that really yeah, so so it that. did it did speak to me it it offered me something to be able to say i had a reason to not feel that i had to be pressured into that like peer mm -hmm. pressure to me i was like oh gosh peer pressure is so scary like that is scary. What if they make me have sex or something? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like <laughs> I, I was scared. What if they make me do drugs and have sex? I'm not. I just don't think I can handle. It. That's just too intense for me. So the <laughs> idea that it was a, a virtue and not doing it was, I, I did find appealing. You know. Yeah. Let me ask you too, Matt, because someone has proposed this to me before. They were like, "Don't you think you maybe just got hijacked into that culture because you weren't ready for all these adult themes in your life, and that offered kind of I think an so. alternative? It was like a safe place where you could be like, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing.' I think so. Yes. Yeah. Certainty is the thing you're looking for. I think in the first half of your life, and some people forever, but 
You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what the whole spiritual appeal was. It was a way to know that what I was doing was okay or right enough until I knew what I really wanted is a, mm-hmm. a way of bootstrapping myself through having answers for things. And it helped. That yeah. helped me, you know, in a way. It was and the also same you way can from- be like not a nerd in that one space, even yeah. though you're a right. nerd everywhere else. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like totally. a cool girl right. in the room. <laughs> yes. It, the same the same thing happened with me with alcohol too. I remember leaving a party as soon as I found out there, they had alcohol there. I was like, oh, not today, Toby. Satan. You know, I just, I'm like, I got out of there, <laughs> and I felt so righteous too. Like I, because I, I wanted to stay at the party, but I'm making the hard decision for God and Christ. And I said, but you're right. I don't. Almost I don't, this last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just yesterday. Uh, but uh, I, I think, yeah. I think y'all are right. I, I never thought of it that way. I probably wasn't really ready to jump into that adult world yet. I still felt like I wanted mm-hmm. to be young and you know a little naive to everything. I felt like that when when I did hang out with the people that were drinking and having sex and all that stuff, they felt older. Where I didn't, I didn't know if I could go there. I, I'm Toby. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a goofball. How do I go yeah. to that now? I'm gonna walk around. And, Getting laid? That wouldn't have worked for me in 10th grade, 11th grade. <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't ready for it. But, yeah, you know. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I do the work that I do, too. Everyone always accuses me of being this, like, complete hedonistic person that just wants to like throw the baby out with the bathwater and allow for everything. And I'm like, no comprehensive sex education, for example, leaves this beautiful area and allowance for people, children, adults, um, teenagers to actually have a safe space to be like, no, I'm creating a code of ethics that I truly believe in that really resonate with who I am. And that might mean being a totally secular person or a Buddhist or a Hindu, any any other faith or lack of faith, atheist for all I care. But you, you're still permitted to be like, no, I'm not ready to have sex because, you know, there is a space where you can be ethical and true to yourself and honest about your morality without having to ascribe all these terminologies and, and dive into toxic mm-hmm. theology to, um, to give you permission to believe those things. You, you've maintained yeah. your faith. Are you still a uh, Christian? What, what, what are you now? Yep. I'm a Christian. Still love <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so go ahead, the heart of the heart of your YouTube channel and the stuff that you do, it seems to me is that you grew up in a purity culture context. And then later, I think the real catchy part, is that you then later had, uh, I, I, mean, I don't know how you describe it exactly, or I can't remember the language exactly, but had... A trampage? A trampage, that's the word for it. <laughs> so, so it's like, a, exactly. <clears throat> and it's, and it's like I'm a... I think I'm in that stage of my life. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, Mary Beth, we're going to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you, you missed that, and you feel free to talk about it, but Mary Beth was just telling us she's in well, a relationship now, and it is her first relationship, is now. That she's, okay. that she's, you know. And I will be 27 this year. So, mm. yeah. yeah, there's a pure, purity culture does a lot of weird things to the brain. Like, I, I hope you have peace with that. But I can imagine yeah. I know abstaining from a relationship because this is a sexual ethic ethic that's built on fear. Purity culture yeah. builds your sexuality on fear and shame, which is so mm-hmm. ironic because the Bible tells us that Satan is the author of fear. The enemy is fear, that God is love. Right. And yet we build our entire religion and all of our, all of our ethics on a, on a foundation that is destined to crumble. And it, and we're yeah. told is not good for us. Yeah. And I feel particularly susceptible to 
like I, I truly feel like afraid of everything. I'm a very anxious person. And mm-hmm. so I think what you addressed earlier where um, we use the word naive, I definitely think that was me at first. And then it kind of got into where I felt comfortable making my own decision, but I was still very scared of whatever the consequences may be, whether they be religious consequences, moral consequences, like physical consequences, you know, I was really caught up in all that. And I think just in the last maybe two years of my life, have I finally just like kind of said, fuck it, if we're being honest, like I, and I, and I have peace with that though. Like I was just telling Matt and Toby earlier that I feel really good about the place I'm in now. And even though I wouldn't wish other people to follow the same path I did, I have peace with the way that I landed here, basically. Mm. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, Brenda, tell us more about the tramp page? I mean, like, what was the, what, what was the turn of the story that went from purity culture into, and then if you could define tramp page? for us. Sure. I just also want to address that I look like Nosferatu right now because yeah. the sun is setting <laughs> and I'm just like in shadow. I don't really know how. <laughs> I'm at my, I'm visiting my cousin uh, in Tahoe, so I didn't have my re- nice. regular setup. Yeah, it's beautiful here, but the sun is blaring. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically my story is that I was fully engaged in these two polarities, which are toxic purity culture and toxic hookup culture and honestly to just honestly to just take ownership over that and to kind of give it a word that brings some levity to it and call it a tramp page it has been a part of my healing of just acknowledging that it's okay to have that had the journey that I did I intentionally wrote on her knees void of shame because I knew that a lot of other people would have encountered or been in similar spaces that I have. And I don't want anyone to have any more shame in their life for the love of God. And I say that literally like for the love of God, no more shame. There's different ways to navigate your sex life without that element. But with this, basically, I see my sexuality and my journey in my 20s as a pendulum swing. So when I was in purity culture, I was taught to be on one end and you're held unnaturally so because it's not an ethic that I actually had formed or believed in from a source inside of myself, from any true conviction. It was none of that. It was just Pastor Pastor Scott told me, God cries when you masturbate. God will cry if I have sex before marriage. God will cry if I have sex with a woman. So I ended up really taking this very intuitive love that I had since I was a little girl and feeling like, oh my God, this entity, God, divinity, Jesus, that I have been engaging with my entire life cares this deeply about my sexuality? Is this brokenhearted when I engage in these very specific ways? So that's when I went to the the shop and got the purity ring. And that's when I signed a purity pledge and really devoted myself to it. And if anyone reads my book, you'll see that I ended up basically throwing in the towel. It's, it's a long story, but basically I ended up having sex with a person because I was so frustrated and it really felt very much like anorexia to me because I was anorexia anorexic for a period of maybe three years or so, maybe five. And, um, that abstaining from food, abstaining made me have an obsession with it. Every day was like, how am I going to avoid food? 
How am I going to avoid situations where people are inviting me to have food? How am I going to sleep through the night without thinking about food? And my obsession for sex became just as strong because I've been a very sexual being since I was really little. And, um, and a lot of us are innately, inherently, we're all born with sexuality, even if it's asexuality, that is still an, a sexuality that you're born with. So I was having a really hard time with it. I slept with someone that I thought I could just like discard and be done with it, which was ironic because it had been so uber precious. And then it just became too much. And again, you'll see in the book, I did a lot of research. I didn't let go so easily. I tried really hard to hang on. But then when I slept with this person, my brain went into all these mental gymnastics of pretending, okay, so I need to remedy this sin. I need to make it okay. And I really genuinely convinced myself that God had sent, quote, the one because I noticed in purity culture and secular culture, let's be real, Cinderella, whatever, mm -hmm. 10 things I hate about you. There's always this like messy dude, but he'll come in on a white horse and you'll be able to reform him. And you guys will live happily ever after. And you have the one, and that is prevalent in whatever culture and in purity culture, mm -hmm. it's the one you're saving yourself for. So I just convinced myself this guy was the one had a very dysfunctional, kind of laughably silly, naive sort of marriage and found out that he had been cheating on me while we were dating. He was going on tour and he was sleeping with girls while he was on the road. And honestly, I'm so grateful that he expressed that to me and that truth came out because that is when I described the pendulum breaking. Because when you're tied unnaturally so, to a code of ethics, especially when it's built on fear or shame or pain, these lower level emotions, you're not going to be able to stay there forever. And something will break it. Something will challenge it. And for me, the affairs were what challenged it. And then when it breaks, unfortunately, you don't just like calmly stop in the center and you're like, now I have a right. really cool sexual <laughs> ethic that's very right. wholesome. And, you know, <laughs> hell no, you swing all the way to the other side. People do worse than me. You know, we know what happens in the Roman Catholic Church. That's atrocious. Like that to me is a part of that pendulum. But for me, it swung into this tram page. And looking back, it was really just, I made this announcement where I was like, I'm not going to count. I can't, I can't kind of Mary Beth, what you said, like it was definitely a part in the French fuck it moment where it was like, yeah. I'm not doing it like this anymore. But unfortunately I had none of the tools. I did not know the word enthusiastic consent or mutuality. I didn't know genuinely how to honor my body. So I was really just kind of out there, like being tossed in the wind hoping for the best. And again, that's why I do the work that I do because I want people to be raised in ideally in this very centered place where your pendulum isn't on one side or the other. You're here. You might go between vacillating, whatever, but you're always like centered in truth and in, in your holistic true self in your sexuality. And if you're a spiritual person or a, a religious person like I am, then also infused in that is your ethics around your spirituality and what you believe the higher power in your life wants mm -hmm. for your sexuality, which is and where you're I'm in at. charge of that basically. Right. I like mean, 
Yeah. I mean, that would be a triggering thing for some Christians to hear, like you're in charge of that, but it really oh, does <laughs> feel, yeah, it feels like this dance of, of really understanding, like if the Bible says I'm made in God's image, Jesus said he left a messenger in the Holy Spirit for me to engage with. It's really this deep engagement. And I always tell this story, one of the very last moments of my quote, tramp page, where I really decided no more, I'm not going to live divided anymore. That was another amazing thing I learned that the root term Satan actually means the divider, one who divides. So I realized like my sexuality was in one part of my life. My spirituality was in a different part of my life. And when you are separated like that, when you're disengaged, when you're disembodied, you think your flesh is evil, your heart's deceitful, you're, you're just in this gross flesh machine and you're not honoring like all of those things need to align. And that moment came for me when I read Linda K. Klein's book, Pure. And toward the end, she described this moment where she she realized she had the same division that I would describe to you right now. And she had a moment where she's like, you know what, God, get in here. I'm going to have sex. I need you in this room with me because I want to, like Mary Beth, kind of what we were just talking about, like, engage with that elements of, of divinity and life and yourself and your truth and see how it actually feels to have an embodied sexual experience. So I was walking into my bedroom with a part of my French, someone I knew was a fuck boy. <laughs> and, um, and I just remember being like, I would usually say, God, wait out here. I'm going to do something that I know is not fully honoring myself. And not just because I was going to have sexual activity, but because I knew he was going to leave me on red. I knew it wasn't really right in my journey. Like I just knew it. So I invited God into the bedroom and it's the last, and I hopefully it really is the last time I've ever done anything like that because the experience of after the aftermath was like, kind of aftercare spiritually where he left and I sat down and I was like, I don't feel good. Let's dive into this without, mm. without the sin, without the shame, without the threat of eternal damnation. I just engaged with divinity, with God and said, I don't feel good. Tell me why, tell me how to avoid this. And that, which was only probably about three years ago, began this journey of finding who I was holistically as a sexual human being. Wow. So that's, uh, you're saying something like after that experience, you, if you could tell me more about that, you say you sat there and dealt, uh, like you sat in the discomfort of that instead of escape from it or pro you, you, you intentionally processed the thing. Yeah, exactly. How did you exactly. do that? Or did you do it on purpose or just happened or what was? Oh, no, I did it. It was all very, very intentional because mm -hmm. I there was something very inspiring in reading her words and reading another really informed, beautiful woman. Like it was at the end of her book. She researched purity culture and its effects for 12 years. So she has put in the work for a long time. She's just basically been having conversations with other survivors and, you know, men describe having erectile dysfunction, women vaginismus. So purity culture can manifest physiologically in your body or it can manifest in panic attacks. It can manifest in hating yourself, believing you're going to hell all the time. None of these things are of God. And, and that is a theological argument that I would make. I don't see those as the fruits of the spirit. And I know the answer that would be simple is like, keep your legs closed it's like, okay, thank you, Ben Shapiro, but actually we're going to need a little more information, <laughs> you know, like we need to engage more deeply than that. Because also too, if you're thinking about raising children, like 
your kids are born with autonomy. They're born with a God-given free will. So you can either choose to tell them, close your legs and be done with it. Or you can engage, like you said right now, Matt, of the in the discomfort of those conversations and those thoughts. And that's what I did. I did it very mindfully. I mindfully recognized when I was about to say, God, wait out here, which is just like a mind thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. like God is always with you, but it was it was about intention and how I was actually engaging and and just knowing that I had an advocate too. You know, I talk in my book about how I actually had some very terrible Me Too situations that I didn't even recognize until the Me Too movement because there was kind of this thing like you're never raped enough. And sorry, I have a trigger warning to anyone, sexual assault. But like a lot of people, I think, unless you're like drug into a dark alley and beaten over the head before it happens, we kind of, until the Me Too movement, a lot of me and my friends didn't really recognize the more subtle. And they're still overt. They still are what they are. But like all of that came from the disembodiment. And and a lot of those situations I was in, and one in particular, I remember disembodying for the very first and last time in my life. And this person was having a consensual sex with me, but he was just getting really, really rough in a way that I didn't like. And instead of advocating for myself, because I knew I was a child of God, because I knew it was worth it, because I knew I was beloved, because I knew my body was worthy of honor, I instead disengaged and purity culture kicked in. And it was like, this is what happens to bad girls. This is Mm -hmm. what happens when you don't Mm -hmm. wait for marriage. And I have heard that narrative from platform. Yeah more times than I can count. If something bad happens to you, what were you wearing? What were you doing? Why were you having sex anyway? All of these things. And none of those are useful when we think about not only training up the next generation to be holistically sexually healthy, but also to parent our inner children and our inner teenagers that have really struggled and suffered a lot of harm because of these concepts. I think it's a, pa- a parental failure primarily, to be honest. Um, and that's no parents don't like to be blamed for anything. I, and I understand why, because um, there's no manual for being a parent. But the w- the way that feels when you are when you don't have anybody to turn to, or you dissociate, or you have to escape from, or there's an easy answer for. If you think about that. The fact that your parents never sat with you in dis- sexual discomfort, then when it when something's uncomfortable, it's just a blank. You know. I mean, yeah, I totally hear you, Matt, and I I do understand the desire to go there. And at the same time, who of us have been given tools? No, like I know. My- but they offload it to the youth group. Like, make sure that the youth group will handle that. Like, it would be too uncomfortable as a parent to just really talk about it. I understand that. Exactly. But the fact that you as a parent avoid discomfort, well, when I hook up with somebody later and feel discomfort, I too will avoid that also. It's just, it starts yeah. a cycle of avoidance or kick it down to the youth pastor or let somebody else, you know, as a simple maxim for taking care. Like, this, the oversimplification of it leaves you with no... Like, I can't think, what would my dad say about this? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no idea what he would say about this right. situation because he sent me the youth group for it or something. And they said, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom said she was like crying in the shower for like an hour after she read my book. My mama, my grandmother mm-hmm. cried after she read my book. My dad is not allowed to read certain chapters. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, I, I'm like, please don't read it, dad. 
Um, but my mom actually had that conversation with me, Matt. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I thought I was putting you in a safe place. I thought I was handing you over to people that were, that had more tools, that had more knowledge, that had more mm-hmm. biblical knowledge than me. And it sounded like it was going to save you so much pain in the world because mm-hmm. if you keep your legs shut and live happily ever after, like, yeah, sure. That sounds maybe great, but that people have done that as well. And then are living in unhappy marriages or cheating or married to gay people or gay people married, you know, and it's just yeah. like, it's not that simple, but I mean, I also don't know that we can put it back on parents because parents are still going to be ill-equipped until we are all able to reckon with the gray areas of sexuality. Well, yeah, because- but the only thing parents can do is just understand when you feel a grayness, that's okay. That's all. I'm not saying it's their fault, fault. Like yeah. they take the blame. Well, it's just a shared thing, but that's a factor. So, you know, when something gets uncomfortable, that's when to take a deep breath and not look for an easy answer. That's typical of all, you know, that's, that's good advice for everybody. Yeah, that'd be great. But then that begs the question, like, is the parent in the room being taught to think that gay people go to hell and that they have to tell Mm -hmm. their gay child, they have to not do that. Like if we, that's, that's my problem with the evangelical church, they reside in black and whites and easy answers. And then it's left carnage, especially in families of LGBTQ kids. Mm -hmm. And maybe not even especially, I just know loud girls that are difficult in their, their families or effeminate boys that just like playing music that have had a rough go because of the black and white ideology. So are you saying though, but I mean, I think we're on the same page, but the parents who I'm, I'm not trying to blame, but I'm saying they themselves still are product of a culture that does not give them the tools even. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. agree with that. Yeah. 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 I think the other big thing too is it, once again, it's just, it, it, we're just taught in, in at least with e- being an evangelical that it's just wrong, 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 wrong. And then, like you said, you can't live in that. And then there is no education either on just your physiology and your desires. And, and, and like you said, that it could be okay to have a desire and still not have sex or have a desire and have like, there's no, real in-depth uh, conversation. And like you said, when you invited God into it, I never thought about that either because that hell no, I don't want God. I only go to him yeah. to ask for forgiveness. Not, not <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That would yeah. be it. Like after I did something bad, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, then I, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And, you know, and you're right, that anxiety there. But it really is strange that they, maybe it's not strange. Maybe that's, maybe it's that parents and the pastors are also, maybe they're consumed with sex or they don't, they don't know what to do. And so everybody just tries to avoid it. And you just stay in that avoidance, avoidance, avoidance so much. So that, like you said, you end up keeping God out of it as if, if God is real and, not, and all, like, he wouldn't know that part. Like apparently, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, I got away with it or something like that. He's it, like, it just, she shut the door. I can't see what's happening. Right. I can't go in. <laughs> did you, uh, when you went on your tram page, I wanted to ask you, did, did you feel, uh, a new sense of like group or community or coolness. Like you said, you know, you had that in high school with the Christians or did you just feel like an outcast? Did you feel shame or what were you feeling when that really happened? 
I am a very like exploratory person. I love gaining more knowledge in any way, which is something I'm just like coming to peace about too. And I've realized I've exercised that with sexuality, but then I've also exercised it with so many different elements of my life. Um, you know, including just studying or learning the Bible, you know, I've excavated my understanding of the Bible as much as I've excavated my spirituality or my sexuality rather. Um, but I felt, I mean, there were definitely moments of ecstasy and and so much fun, especially if I was on vacation or like I used to model abroad and I had some magnificent experiences that I would say checked every box of sexual integrity of mutuality and consent and clear communication and honor and all of those things. And I'm still dear friends with so many of my sexual partners. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. <laughs> There's a dog invading. Um, yeah, I still, I, so I, I still have like so many beautiful memories, but then I think that I just wish I could have, I wish I could have been empowered with the knowledge that I have now, because there are definitely situations I wouldn't have gotten myself into, but I'm sorry. I feel like I lost track of the question because the dog came in. Oh no. Well, well I was just wondering <laughs> how, how are you able to, did you, did you carry guilt all the way through it? Like, I mean, like coming from purity culture, no, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It was just like binge eating chips and, and like you're enjoying it even from at certain moments, but you, you eat the Ben and Jerry's and the chips and you just, you know, it's bad overall, but you're still kind of getting a kick out of it. Is it, was it like that? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take a cue from you, Matt. Sometimes I was binging chips, but sometimes I was eating a kale salad of sexuality uh -huh. and it felt good. Not just, um, physically, like sometimes I would leave an experience and be like, why those were the moments of reckoning where I was like, that wasn't wrong. I don't yeah. believe that was wrong. Like that didn't, nothing about that was wrong for me. And, and even when I quote lost my virginity, which is a term that I've eradicated, it's now sexual debut. Cause you don't mm -hmm. lose anything. Um, mm -hmm. But um, even when that happened, I remember like walking around the next day and even like checking in with my body and, touching my, just my legs and my arms and being like, I thought the whole world would change. I thought the, like the ground would open up and say, and I would fall in, down into hell in a pole, like Lil Nas X. And <laughs> <laughs> instead I felt the same. And in some ways I felt emancipated in a good way. And and that's the kind of nuance that I really wish more Christians would engage in too. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're intuiting something is actually good for you, then do you go back to the Bible? And if so, what's informing your decisions? And, and that's why I always like asking questions of people more than telling people what to do, because I just know for a fact, for me, certain experiences were actually not only joyful and wonderful in the moment, but also in the aftermath had taught me things, had expanded my mind, had, had shown me more truth about myself and another person. And, and I don't regret those to that, to this day. So what do we do with that? It's a good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the uh, same experience. Like that was yeah. the same thing that I felt too. I was kind of just like, okay, <laughs> that was cool. I guess, you know, like that was, that was it. 
and I just expected, like you said, kind of just the the ground to open up, and it was just another day, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brent, I wanted to ask you. So you went through this, and then what made you start your like your YouTube and and start being so outspoken about this? What, what where did that thought or that courage come from? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I actually hadn't processed this until recently, but I realized the very first major break I had with the way I saw my evangelical experience was that I ran into, or like purposely met with a girl that I had gone to youth group with. And we were both, we both signed that virginity pledge together. And she was the girl that would develop before everybody else. And now that I have my channel, I've heard so many more experiences like this because I was such a beanpole. I was a nerd. So I wasn't really having situations where older men in church were like, hey, we're lusting after you. You need to cover up. Like I wasn't that girl, but my friend was, and she developed really quickly. And they just kept saying, wear bigger t-shirts, wear bigger t-shirts. One of our female youth leaders even told her to please stop swaying her hips when she walked in church because a lot of the older men in the congregation were feeling tempted and we were taught, don't be a stumbling block to your brothers. Make sure your spaghetti straps are wide enough. And when I had this conversation with her, she told me that one of our leaders, after she'd basically literally been groomed to believe that this was her fault, um, assaulted her while she was babysitting his children and she didn't even tell anyone. And I hope that she's told more people by now. Like I I would love to check in with her, but I felt what they say is a righteous fury. I felt like Jesus in the temple overturning the tables. I was losing my mind. And a lot of us, when we start the deconstruction process, it is a a grieving process. You go through denial. and, And that was my anger phase. I was enraged by the church for years. And at the same time, I look back and I was still fully engaged in the church because I was like, oh, it's that church. That church is the one that I'm mad at. And then it wasn't until my friend at this new church that I was at got kicked off of the worship team, unceremoniously booted off of all of her responsibilities after nine years of dedicated unpaid service because her female roommate wasn't a roommate. And then that was my second awakening where I was like, is it? this church and this church, or are there some systematic issues that are at the root of this? So I started really investigating those realities myself. And, and I came to these things by myself. Like I was trying to be an actress in LA and, you know, I wasn't focused on, I I thought social media was for kids. And sometimes I still do feel like I'm invading and I'm super old. (laughs) I like have a TikTok and I'm like, can I be here? I'm sorry guys. (laughs) But, um, you know, I didn't see that in my future, but I had done this journey on my own and every one of my friends, very diverse circle, LGBTQ, Buddhist, like anything you can possibly imagine. I just love people. And everyone has always just been like, oh yeah, Brenda, she's a Christian. She doesn't do blow. Like don't offer her that. And so respectful and and kind about my my personal convictions. And um, 
But at that time, like, I had a moment where I was looking at all my old journals. Sorry, I'm rambling. It's a bit of a story. Um, but I had all these journals and I was like, you know what? I feel like someone would really benefit from reading this journey of a perfect evangelical girl going to LA and blah, 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 blah. And I, I proposed it to some publishers and they said, we love this material, but there's no audience for it. And this was pre-Trump. So I, I know like, it's so divine. This is I'm still a Christian girl. I look at this and I'm like, dang, divine timing is so crazy because now in the zeitgeist, everyone is like the New York Times is starting to talk about purity culture and, and Linda K. Klein was just in there last week. So everyone is sort of wrestling with this. Even the Britney Spears documentary that just came out, she is a product of purity culture. The necessity that she had to be this perfect virgin and raise all the girls in the in the America to be as good as, as she is, that is still purity culture, even though it's in the secular realm. So my breaking point was I actually started looking on YouTube because I was like, there is an audience for it. I can prove it. And I was looking for LGBTQ Christians or sex positive Christians because I knew I was that. And instead I found non-affirming Christians, the same things I'd always seen. And I got most furious when I saw this girl who looks pretty affluent in her big house, blonde white girl talking about how her and her husband don't worry about having babies because Jesus is her birth control. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. And I dusted off this old Canon camera I had and started making my own videos. <laughs> and then it turned into its own beast. And now, beautifully enough, I've been able to publish the book, which is what I had started out to do in the first place. Well, your YouTube is great. Like I was, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, there's a lot of edits and a lot of, a lot of research, like a lot of video news articles, different stuff on there. Are you doing that all yourself? Do you? I mean, you just since uh, you said even before Trump is when you started, right? So, I mean, you, you do all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I, I would love a team. I can't wait to ascend to that level, but yeah, it's all me. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of editing. I mean, to, to, to say you were staying away from that kid stuff or whatever. I mean, the, the, some of your videos, I was like, golly, this had to take hours at least, right? <laughs> just the edits of it, not even the content. I mean, the content's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. Thank you, Toby. Yeah. They, they usually would take like a solid week to research mm -hmm. and edit. And luckily I'm a little better at editing now, so it's not as painful, but yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> and, yeah. and the, so, I mean, just, you're probably similar to us, but are you getting a lot of Christians that are supportive? Are you getting like hate and love? And then is some of the love, like, Christians that can't talk to their families or, you know, haven't been able to be as open or honest with their, with the world as you are. Does that happen? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always noticed that when you tell the truth, even if you're just one-on-one -on -one with a friend, when you express the truth, when you're prepared to offer that to someone else in, in all of its candor and, and without shame, it invites other people to express their truth. And that has been my intention since day one with God is Gray. And I, I know that I did it holding divinity's hand. Like the name God is Gray came to me immediately. And I was bucking God on that because I was like, bless you, Mary Beth. <laughs> um, I was bucking it because I was like, everyone's going to be like, God is not gray. He's black and white. And I was, I was so ready for all of that, but I love how polarizing it is because it's, it, it should be polarizing. It's, 
it's a confronting title and I mean it. And, and I really believe that there is divinity. There is absolute truth that resides in black and whites where there is perfection. There is a garden of Eden that we're rooted from, but we ain't living in Eden and we haven't been since the beginning of time. So we have to wrestle and contend with the, the world that we live in, which is gray. You know, it could be as simple, you know, we always talk about sex because as we talked about at the top, evangelical church did make an idol out of sexual purity 100% and not just evangelicals i see muslim girls people of all sexes struggling with it i see many different denominations britney spears for the love of god like it encounters many of us but um but yeah <laughs> that's funny i i was thinking it was a play on like god is great well, like that, God, too, that because too, because that was the prayer I always said you know, before, mm -hmm. you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And I was thinking it was something like that. Like, let us thank him for not just food, but for our, our sexuality, for our life, for, you know, you can like, it's not just one thing and, and being gray would mean it is more than one, you know, it's not just, or not just white, not just black or whatever. So that, that's really cool. Toby. Thank you. Absolutely. It's, that's exactly what it is. Well, yeah. I think there's an element there of the story where it has um, it, I, I'm I'm encouraged that there's more authentic type of personalities and media. Um, I think of the simple. You said, you know, we mentioned Ben Shapiro earlier. There's a certain amount of media personality that is very one sided as one point of view and it and it makes a lot of its bank on never wavering or changing kind of a thing and i think the more authentic kind of things and it does get a lot of criticism but it is to like have gone through a certain lifestyle and then change that lifestyle and do the other type of lifestyle and then synthesize between the two like a ride up and then a journey down through deconstruction and all that it's it's it the part where you're trying to say, I used to be this, but now I'm this, people can really get after it on that and say, oh, well, so she was this, but now here she goes trying to lead people down this path too, and she gets to do that, and then come, you know, there's all that kind of way that people, uh, if you process publicly and your position isn't the same over time, then you leave yourself really open and vulnerable for, for criticism. But I think yeah. that's the stronger in the long run if you set that context and be present or authentic and show that your positions and view and who you've been as a person has changed, that's not like a politician. It's kind of the opposite kind of thing. But it makes you much more vulnerable, which is then the thing that people can, you know, make use of because it gives you a, a different type of credibility. So I think that's what's valuable about it. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're talking about bad Christian when you're talking about that too, yeah? Well, I mean, it's just, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with us. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've changed a lot just from doing the show, but before or after, people say, oh, so you're celebrating sin now, making profit off of it. Like, that's the way it comes across. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It's like, oh, sure. so, you know, so, you know. You get I love when people say that because I'm like, yeah, I'm making millions of dollars off right. of it. Yeah. Well, but people see just, you know, a big YouTube channel and they think that, you know, there's a jealousy component to this. Like, she sounds free. She sounds like she's saying what's true, what's real to her. And it's, it's something that goes against the grain and she seems to be doing well. So that it draws criticism, you know. It, yeah. There's a character in my book named Sienna. A lot of the characters are like uh, mushes of, of, of several different people. So this one character is like a re a girl that has emerged in my life many times over that was just 
a freer version of me, someone that was allowed to move through the world intuitively, that was allowed to process facts with intellect and information. And I remember envying those people and being like, why do they just get to be intuitive? Why did they get to learn new information? And why do they, why are they allowed to believe in science and all of these things? And now I finally obviously feel so much more free and so much more genuinely authentic in my spiritual spirituality and my faith, because I'm like, oh, I was always allowed to be all of those things. I never had to envy those girls. I was always, I feel like they were always giving me an invitation not to join them in the pits of hell, but to actually move through the world in this really organic, beautiful way that I had, frankly, up until I was 12 years old. And that whole thing just got hijacked by mm-hmm. evangelicalism because I I knew God before then. I knew how to move with God intellectually and in an informed way before then. I think a lot of those people too are still in the black and white world. So they think of you or us as, oh, they flip to the other team exclusively or so, you know yeah, what I mean? Like right. they, they, they had to go to that. Mm-hmm. They, 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 and then they think, oh, well, I, ha- I either I have to change or I have to dig my heels in and stay on my side as opposed to yeah. moving more towards the center, which is what, I mean, like our podcast has always been really about being in the center. I mean, we yeah. try to have, you know, we, we try to have all kinds of different guests and just tr- try to make our minds as open as we can to new ideas and new thoughts. And then, like you said, sit with God for a little bit and go, what is this? What is this? What just happened? I, maybe I do like this. Is that okay? I, I feel like it's okay. I'm not, I'm not doing sex to try to hurt my eternal soul or make you cry God, like you said earlier, or any of that. Like, I'm really just, it seems like something I was built even to do, (laughs) you know, in a way. So how how can I explore that and be healthy? But I think it's to so many people, especially in the Christian world, I feel like it is either or it's either God or Satan, you know, only it's it's so exclusive that you can't, it's hard for people to get in the gray. But you remember being in that position and seeing uh, somebody deconstruct Christianity or move go over to the other side from your point of view. Yeah, I thought they were going to hell immediately. And you you were about to walk that path yourself, yet at the time you were the vocal critic of the Right. I was. Yeah. You were the critic right before you took the journey. That's the Mm -hmm. important thing to notice. Sometimes your most vocal critics are that's the reaction right before because they it's like fuck i i could actually relate to toby and he's what now he's quit he didn't do that it's like oh shit like that makes you angry you know or or scared i I remember being in 10th grade and kevin kraus came up to me and goes toby i know you don't cuss because you're a christian and i just want you to know that you've been an inspiration to me and i'm not going to cuss anymore (laughs) and and i was like God, you are using me, Father. <laughs> Lord, what what is the next thing that I'll do? A year later, I was cussing. <laughs> By junior year, I was like, oh, this shit. What the hell gives a shit about this? And, you know, uh, and I started exactly. fall, falling off. But I mean, yeah. So. No, anyway. it's true. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, the, what, really quick, what I wanted to say is like, I think recognizing, having the recognition that we've all also been the oppressors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the one yes. that drug everyone to the purity culture ball. I organized mm-hmm. that. So like I can get angry at people all day long, but I was the oppressor at a time. Right. Even being in yeah. my white skin and my middle-class background, I have been an oppressor without even knowing it. Like this is all the awakenings that we're having. So that gives me right. so much grace for people as well. I'm um, sorry. Go ahead, Mary true. Beth. No, you're good. That's very true. Um, 
going back just a little bit earlier to whenever you were talking about how you like you knew God and then once this local kind of aspect entered into your life, that's whenever um, the idolizing of purity culture kind of came in. I've seen recently, we, so we just recently interviewed Grace Baldridge, a uh, similar, which oh, I know yeah. that you just yeah. spoke to because yeah. I saw on her Instagram, um, which is just funny that it comes full circle. But, you know, Grace had a similar story where, you know, she was raised, her dad was an Episcopal pastor, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, she was telling us like, basically she didn't like really feel like that shame until American evangelicals came over to where her and her family lived in Belgium. And that kind of brand of Christianity was introduced to her. And that's when the shame and the um, guilt and the fear and everything kind of entered into her faith, even though she sort of already had an established faith, mm. which I think kind of lines up with your, like what you were just saying a little bit earlier. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I I love that you make that point because something I keep saying too is, you know, discerning the idea of conviction versus shame. I put those in opposite categories Mm -hmm. and I've noticed when you practice it, when you practice embodiment, which is so important as well, when you, we stop calling your body, your heart deceitful and your flesh evil, you start realizing that this is a temple of the Holy spirit that you've been given, that your body keeps account, keeps the score, like Again, in my book, I talk about a point where I went to an evangelical church because I just felt like I had to get back in, but my whole body was shaking and I felt sick. And this girl came up to me with a cup of coffee to like bring me in. And it looked like Michael Myers holding a butcher knife. Like that's how afraid of her I was. And I, I shamed my body. I was like, Brenda, you're being ridiculous. Calm down, you know? And it wasn't until I read Jamie Lee Finch's book, You Are Your Own, that I was like, that my body kept a score because my body cares about my well-being. My body remembers the trauma that I've endured in spaces like this. My body remembers how terrible it is to hear this worship music about what a worthless piece of garbage I am. My body is reminding me what it feels like to be in this space. So I don't fight my body like that anymore because embodiment is like acknowledging it. And sometimes you are safe and then you check in with your body and you're like, Hey girl, or Hey boy, like you're okay. I know we've been unsafe here before, but like now this is a safe person we're dating or, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be, or this I is feel a safe that church. Like, for sure. yeah, I think even yeah. if I went to a fully affirming progressive church, I would probably still have that trauma reaction for a while until I could re-acclimate my body to feeling safe in spaces like that. And a part of it that's huge is when I recognize that conviction is internal and conviction is even, it's so subtle. I could do the most like teeny tiny off-brand thing for me. And I feel it. It's like a ping in the spirit. We all know how it feels and shame. It like rolls on you like a thunderstorm. Conviction Mm -hmm. says, Hey, you can do better than that. You know, better than that. Shame says, you're a piece of garbage and you'll never do better than that. And it sits yeah. with you and conviction is mobilizing. Shame is paralyzing. You can tell the difference between these two things. And um, yeah, that's another thing I think is so important when you navigate your sexuality and when you hear stories like Grace's that you just talked about, where it's just like that shame rolled onto her like a thundercloud mm-hmm. that wasn't innate to who she was or oh. to her, her experience with divinity. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. it's hijack the way you said. I mean, the language you used is it come, it can hijack sure. you. It's a stronger thinking. If you don't have the full confidence, you're going to adopt the confidence of what your social environment, I mean, that's mm-hmm. just going to come on you. You know, the social yeah. environment is, is more powerful. Yeah, than think. totally. Mm-hmm. Well, Brenda, we really do appreciate you being on here. This is great. Um, so your new book is On Her Knees, A Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel, and it's out now, right? Yeah, go get it. <laughs> yeah, where, where do you want? Where Where do you? I know you, uh, God is Gray is on uh, YouTube. That's your YouTube show. Where, where can people else? Where else can they find you? Um, I'm on TikTok. God is Gray. <laughs> um, terrible Twitter, but you can find me on there too. Um, yeah, God is Gray on Instagram, and then my book is available on Amazon, which is kind of a moral conundrum. But they do own the world, and you know, if you buy from them, they like put up my numbers, so it's kind of arguably the best way to get it. There's also Barnes and Noble, or you can get it from a couple independent bookstores if you just Google it. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you for spending some time with us this evening. We've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, enjoy Tahoe. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Well, that's great. Um, Toby, you want to do a tooth and nail ad? You got it there? I certainly do, Matt. We'll roll the music. <laughs> All right. All right, folks, you're listening to No Friends. That's a new song from The Undertaking. I almost nice. wanted to say The Undertaker. It's so oh. close, and I love The Undertaker in wrestling. But this is The Undertaking, and they might be just as good. Uh, the Undertaking is the newest band on Solid State Records. And if you like Every Time I Die, Norma Jean, Cancer Bats, or Poison the Well, it's a pretty safe bait, uh, bet that you're going to really enjoy these guys. So their debut album, Funeral Psalms, comes out on April 30th, and you can pre-save it now on Spotify. Um, go check out their current singles and be sure to follow them on Spotify if you like it. Uh, Funeral Psalms, April 30th. Enjoy. That's great. Solid State is really doing some good stuff. That heavy music just seems to have unlimited lasting power. You keep yep. that, you know what I mean? Solid State, at, you know, all the other labels and indie labels and stuff, they come and go and are up or down or whatever, but Solid State has been just very solid on brand with a certain type of stuff and um, that they keep doing more and more, they get more and more new acts and attracting new and new stuff. That yeah. is something about heavy music that's just it will never go out of style. It's just Mary a, Beth, were you a tooth and nail solid state kid? See, okay, look, I have 
somehow I have regret about not being into heavy music earlier in my life, even though I had basically no exposure to it and no one that I knew listened to it. So like, but you I have, would have piled with regret about it. Yeah. <laughs> like I have like a uh, FOMO somehow of like my younger <laughs> oh, self because I just yeah. <laughs> magically didn't know what that was. I would have loved that shit when I was younger, but I definitely love it now. So I, I, I wasn't like introduced to most of it until I joined the BC club, which was in like, Oh no. What did you listen to growing up? Like when you were a 17 oh, year old, what were you? Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Like stuff on the radio. I don't I mean But heavy stuff on the radio? I'd like say, did you like aggressive rock then? But radio like Limp Biscuit? Kid Rock. <laughs> you the like heaviest kid. I listened to was like Chiodos and stuff. Which oh, I still okay. love Chiodos, but yeah. and I didn't even get into that until like maybe seventh or eighth grade. And uh, yeah. Well, that's I was not just, late to listen to Chiodos in seventh grade. Well, what do you think I, I listened know. to in seventh grade? <laughs> I don't know. I just, and then I didn't really just fully get into that phase until I was like late high school. You like really missed I, out of fourth grade of going to mosh pits. I, so I can't believe it. I know. I do remember listening to Emory though when I was younger, not like um, consistently, but you all were on a playlist somewhere. But, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that, that's how a lot of people found our band on some Christian playlist or like the solid yeah. state. Or, or, I found you on LimeWire, first of all. Oh yeah, LimeWire. Wow. I think I That's think that cool. all that LimeWire really helped our career. I mean, oh, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> yeah. illegal downloads. I mean, people really did listen, and then they would come to shows and buy a T-shirt, and that's what we are—we're T-shirt salesmen. So. Yeah. <laughs> Until you anyway. start downloading, uh, people start bootlegging T-shirt NFTs that we don't get paid oh, for, then we're screwed. Oh hell! What does happen when you can just immediately print a T-shirt yourself? Like that'll happen very soon, right? I mean, you're already <laughs> doing it. Remember we went to Mexico and it was just like there's a giant a mass of people outside the club to see Emory and there yeah. are dozens of t-shirt salesmen selling Emory shirts Emory to the crowd. Yeah. Just <laughs> everywhere. We, it's like, not us and not, not the venue, but just to tons do of people <laughs> selling Emory shirts to a giant crowd outside of a hard rock campaign. And then we tried Mexico to get them City. to come in and buy our t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were much more expensive. Oh <laughs> Good grief. Oh boy.